0: Hello, and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. Today, we're going to be doing a year in review looking back over 2018 and the various excitements of American politics. Uh, And I'm delighted to be joined by Kate Andrews, who is Associate Director of the IEA, and Sir Christopher Mayer, who was formerly Britain's ambassador in Washington. Christopher, probably one of the overriding themes of this year has been Trump's trade war and the ratcheting up of tensions with China over tariffs. Is he winning this war or is China playing a longer, smarter game?
1: I guess that China is playing a longer, smarter game, but they're worried and they're quite scared by what he's doing and what more he may do. I mean, when we get to the end of the four years and we draw up the balance sheet we'll probably say that Trump has engaged in a net negative for the United States and for himself personally. But along the way, he's causing a massive amount of angst, including in Beijing, and he does have the power to hurt the Chinese. And it may be, at the margin, quite salutary that he's doing so.
0: Kate, I I imagine you're quite a sort of free market person. You probably balk at tariffs. But you must admit that Trump is actually making an adjustment that a lot of Americans have said for a long time needs to be made.
2: He's making an adjustment, particularly looking at China, that a lot of the world has thought needed to be made. The deeply frustrating thing about Trump is that he's doing it in a way that alienates his allies and his friends, not just those who might need a scolding. So he's threatening to put tariffs on EU countries, for example, threatening a trade war with the European Union. Now, I know a lot of people here in the UK are frustrated with the EU's negotiating tactics, but to come out of complete left field and to be threatening one's friends, is not really going to help in the long term to tackle issues with trade and China. And I agree with Christopher that in the long run, this is not going to benefit the American people and his voters. They might like his language. I mean, a lot of his base does. Even if, even if the impact is different, they like that he's being tough and saying what he thinks and whatnot. But at the end of the day, a trade war hurts your own consumers. It increases costs and it puts the global economy in jeopardy, which will always hit back at home. So, you know. He He might have the rhetoric right, but the policy is still fundamentally wrong.
0: Although Trump has, I I know this is sort of very dim economics, but Trump has boasted that a lot of money is coming into the coffers through these tariffs already. We're seeing huge amounts of income coming in. And in fact, a whole feature of the Trump presidency has been an enormous amount of capital flows into America. And perhaps that is a result of his protectionism.
1: Well, I think you've got to look at the short-term, medium-term, long-term I think the short-term beneficial impact is precisely, as you say, there'll be a surge of revenue coming into the United States from tariffs being paid by the Chinese, but and indeed, by, as Kate was saying, by, by other closer friends and allies like uh, the Europeans. But in the medium to long term, people start to adjust for this. They start to do other things to avoid the tariffs. They start to divert their trade all kinds of things can be done in trade policy to mitigate the effect of of tariffs so I do think that over the long term it won't work to the advantage uh, of the United States but there's plenty of bounty around right now for Donald Trump to point out and say look it's working look at all this cash that's coming in it's a very short term view that but he is a very short term man
0: well, perhaps he is a short term man. But, Kate, I mean, let's move on to Korea now. That was another thing where everybody said it was disastrous. It was crazy. What was he doing? He was threatening nuclear apocalypse. And then he su- suddenly started to make what seemed to be progress. Now, we can argue about whether he has actually made progress, but he certainly was It was not as stupid a move to open up towards Kim as people thought or to threaten Kim and then open up towards him.
2: Yeah, it turns out that he's got more diplomacy in him than others would have given him credit for. I don't think that forgives him in egging on his allies and his poor trade policy, but it it turns out that he was able to get King John Um around the table. I think we have to keep an open mind and see where it goes. It is certainly not the case that he has brought peace to Korea. It is not the case at all that North Korea are taking down the walls and lowering their bar- barriers and becoming a liberal and open democracy. But he has made more advancement in that area than the likes of, say, President Barack Obama, who always flagged himself up to be a president of, of peace and understanding. So, you know, I, I think we have to wait and see. I, 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 It's hard to demonize him at this point, and I would love to see him be successful. On the other hand, the one thing Trump is great at is putting on a show. And if this turns out just to be a show, obviously, in the medium term, that's going to be an overall disappointment.
0: Do you think, Christopher, that maybe Trump is the sort of leader the world needs in the sense that we've now moved, we're moving away from the time of kind of liberal international order, we are moving into a kind of strongman era, it seems. And Trump is not a benign strongman, perhaps, but he's certainly not a tyrant in 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 a in the way that perhaps putin is
1: i I would say two things on that, just one comment on North Korea. we don't actually know there's a great question about Kim and Donald Trump, and that is who whom who screwed whom we're not quite sure yet who got the advantage out of that. There are plenty of people who would say that Kim gave away nothing and completely snowed Donald Trump. The verdict lies with history i'm not quite sure what the answer is to who, whom. But there's another point in here, which is a much wider one, about the unravelling of the post-Second World War liberal international order, largely created by the United States with the help of allies like the United Kingdom. Now, we all hoped that as the thing started to fall apart, particularly after the financial crisis of 2008, and actually after what appeared to be a benign event, the collapse of the Soviet Union, that the liberal international order would become strengthened and more entrenched. We now see Donald Trump as an agent of his unravelling. He delights in its unravelling. The, the more bits he unravels, like NATO, by accusing the Allies, quite rightly, of not paying sufficiently into their own defence accounts, is part of that unravelling. Is he a dictator? No, he probably would like to be a dictator. If he get rid <laughs> of... I mean, now he's got... You know He probably thinks he's got the Supreme Court under his thumb now. He'd like to probably dissolve Congress if he could, whenever he wants to, and he does envy the powers that people like Putin and and she have. What Trump doesn't see that is that each of these dictators, and let's include Erdogan in there as well, and even the the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, all these people have feet of clay. And he might envy their trappings, but when he but he doesn't have the intellectual capacity or the will to look at it actually in what their power consists. And I think that is a mistake he makes.
0: Well, Kate, speaking of Putin, let's move on to the Russia probe, the seemingly never-ending Russia probe, the Mueller investigation, which it seems, by what we hear, is is wrapping up. Has it already harmed Trump? Do you think it's going to harm Trump? Do you think it's going to bring down the presidency still, What do you think is going to happen with Mueller in the next few weeks?
2: Well, I hate to make predictions, Freddie, but if I had to make one for 2019, it would be that President Trump will remain President Trump. There has been no meaningful insight so far anyway in the Mueller investigation to suggest any form of collusion with Russia. Now, maybe it's coming out, maybe the investigation's wrapping up and they found everyone guilty, but no evidence so far or no leak so far would suggest that this has been the case. I think it's been hugely polarizing in America to have this investigation go on as long as it has. It has only fueled the fire of those who never believed that he was a legitimate President to begin with, and it's also created a very strong base of support for the president, who has on multiple occasions now been able to say, "Look, they still can't get me," and in the meanwhile, it's it's badly distracted from the domestic policy agenda at home that needs to be addressed. In the midterms this year, it was the first time in a long time that Americans said that health care was actually their number one priority over things like the economy and certainly above things like the Russian investigation. So I always thought it was right that there. Was was a special investigation into this, but I'm happy that it's coming to an end. And assuming that nobody's found overwhelmingly guilty of these things, it will be very important for the Democrats in particular to move on and to not abuse their new control of the House to keep this going.
0: Yes, Christopher, it seems like after the midterms, now that the Democrats have control of the House, they're going to try and make his life hell with lots of other investigations and, you know, probes into his businesses and business empire and so on. Is he a sort of lamed up president now or once the Mueller inquiry finishes up and he's not found guilty, might he be actually a bit freer?
1: Well, I think it is. It remains to be seen that when the new Democratic controlled Congress takes its seat in the new year, whether that is indeed what they're going to do. I mean, I think you have a tension inside the Democratic majority between the kind of Nancy Pelosi tribe, venerable speaker. She's 77 years old. She reaches back to a rather different tradition of uh, of politics in, in the United States. And she remembers very well what happened to those who tried to impeach Bill Clinton back in 98, 99. And absent a smoking gun of gigantic size and incredible accuracy, I agree with Kate. You know, Donald Trump is going to survive. He's probably going to see out his, his presidency. But we may see some other quite significant figures in his entourage uh, going up before the beak, before the judge, I think Don Jr. is is very vulnerable in this, and maybe Jared Kushner, also. The thing that would get Trump is, is the passage from conflict of interest, i.e., trying to build a Trump Tower in Moscow when he was running for the for the uh, Republican nomination, and actual collusion and trying to bring Hillary down, and it's the latter that is not yet proven. There's a ton of circumstantial evidence for the former. On balance, I would say in his second half, he will be a more diminished, he'll be a diminished force compared with his first half, his first two years, which were truly a case of Trump ascendant.
0: Kate, we've seen that he's able to pull rabbits out of hats before. And I mean, he he said before the midterms, he said that, you know, if, if the Democrats win the House, I'll figure it out. He's already made sort of open gestures towards Pelosi. And he may just turn out to be a much more canny, political figure than we think.
2: So I've always thought he's been canny. This idea that he's a buffoon in the White House is giving him far too much credit, actually. He's obviously been responsible for some of the horrible things he's both said and done, but I I think he's always been canny and this is the businessman in him, the, the wheeling and dealing. Now that I have to work with Pelosi, I'll stop calling her mean names and I'll actually try to do some good work. I agree with Christopher that I do think that his power is certainly diminished. This isn't unusual in American politics. American voters like to swap the power around. They give it to the Republicans. They give it back to the Democrats. We really like to have a mixed Congress where different people are in power for that for that purpose of checks and balances. So, in many ways, it's a reflection on Trump. Trump was a consideration when when voters went into the midterm elections. But it's also a normal part of our democratic process. So the real question isn't whether or not this was a huge referendum on Trump. It's whether or not now that the verdict's in, Trump's going to play fair, play nicely and play well with the other side.
1: Just picking up immediately on what Kate has just said, I do remember Bill Clinton, 1994 midterms, the Gingrich Revolution. And he had one of his most profitable periods of legislative activity in the second half of his first term, working with the Ging- Gingrich Republicans mm-hmm. in, in in the House of Representatives. You can, although history doesn't repeat itself ever exactly, you can't totally exclude the idea of a kind of unholy alliance between Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi to get certain types of legislation through. It seems improbable, but it's not impossible.
2: Well, they agree but on his, things. His, his
0: approval rating is about where Clinton's was at this time. I suppose the difference might be, Kate or, or Christopher, whoever wants to pick this up, is that Clinton was, was, a, was a, a triangulator. He was going towards the middle always and, and trying to find a kind of unity. or well, he wasn't trying, but he succeeded sometimes, whereas Trump is the opposite, perhaps
2: politicians are so much more divided now, as is the public. Even during the Clinton administration when he was facing impeachment, which was you know a very intense time, I would argue that there was still more political unity, especially when it came to certain ideas, as you say, centrist ideas, usually very free market ideas, than there is today. And if we look at the Obama administration and the fact that he essentially became a lame duck president once the Republicans took massive control of the House, you could see something very similar happening to Trump. But we have to remember, Trump is not a typical Republican. He has rewritten what it means to be a Republican voter. It's become far more populous, far more tribal, much more anti-immigration than Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush ever were. And crucially, he's, he's not opposed to certain kinds of government spending. Him and Nancy Pelosi might find agreement on infrastructure spending and things of the like. So, you know, we have to wait and see. If, there, if it's possible for them to put the politics aside and find agreement on this. I think in the age of Trump, that's going to be extremely difficult. But I wouldn't totally rule it out.
1: I mean, Freddie, he's not really either a Republican or a Democrat, is he? He's Trump. He, exactly, no. he's Trump. And that gives him a lot of freedom of action, actually, if he wishes to to, to take it.
0: Well, but let's look at those midterms again. In the, I mean... A lot of people are saying he he seems to have lost the Rust belt, which he won so crucially in two thousand sixteen. How can he win in twenty twenty with the way the political map seems to be shaping up looking at the midterms?
1: Well, I'm 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 not at all sure because I always get I always get anxious when people talk about the demographics behind election results about great swathes of people like in the old days, it was soccer mums. Now it's something else. Mums, I can't remember what it is now. And they are consigned. They are consigned to one voting block. And then, then people living in the suburbs with high school grad- graduation or college degrees, As- and, Aspirational. aspirational. Yeah. I don't know. It, it actually drives me apeshit. All that stuff. I, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't really follow it. I. What I would say is that maybe his irreducible core is it thirty five percent. Maybe it is is perhaps more reduced than it was before the midterms, that he has less of a hold on the American electorate than he had before the midterms. But the point is, this is all so very difficult to read. It's even harder than Brexit, to be perfectly frank, because we don't know who he's going to run against. I assume he's going to run a second time, as long as his health holds up and Mueller hasn't knocked him out. He runs a second time. Who's he going to run against? i sorry, I've changed the subject slightly. Until we no, know no, from this mass, pollulating mass of possible Democratic Republican candidates uh, who's going to run if he goes for, for a second term, it is very hard to calculate his strength, his essential strength and weakness for a coming presidential run. If I, if I have a favorite anywhere, I, I don't really know him from Adam, but I kind of like the look of him. It is Sherrod Brown from Ohio. Ohio is a classic Trumpian state. He swept the board, I think, in in the midterms, except where Sherrod Brown was concerned. What did Sherrod Brown have in particular, which gave him strength? He had a rumpled suit, a populist touch to him, which is precisely the kind of Democrat, I think, who does well against Trump, who is, at the end of the day, a plutocrat.
0: Kate, let's put that to you. I mean, who are the Democrats who can win the blue-collar vote? I mean, Biden seems to be the kind of person that everyone goes back to when they... they He's 100 the years old. ...looking for a winner.
2: Joe Biden, former, former vice president, and Sherrod Brown are the two names that I hear called up most when it when we talk about that white working class vote in particular and what Trump did so well with in the general election. But I think to this point about whether or not Trump can keep the Rust Belt, Christopher is completely right. It depends on who he runs against. And I think it's more likely that he's going to end up running against a Democratic populist the likes of Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts, who I just read very recently is already getting her campaign machine gear into action. And this is what's going to be so crucial is that Republican voters and Democratic voters are fundamentally split on what top. Matter to them in American politics right now. And Democrats are showing that they care a lot more about the environment and issues of inequality, while the Republicans care a lot more about jobs and the economy. And I think, especially in that Rust Belt, if they pick a Democratic populist who uses similar, if not more extreme, language than Hillary Clinton did, I think a lot of those working class voters are going to fear for their jobs and fear for their livelihood. And unlike someone like Sherrod Brown, who could reassure them that they're going to be balanced about this, a populist candidate's going to go for it, knowing that that will energize the Democratic base, but not bring in those swing voters. So at this point, whether or not Trump wins again, A, will have to do with where the economy's at, but B, will very much have to do with the kind of candidate they put up against him.
0: I think for what it's worth, I think they're going to go with Beto or Beto because they can't help themselves. <laughs> and they'll, they'll convince themselves that he's a populist when he really isn't.
2: <laughs> well, then maybe they'd win. He, Who he, knows? He, he, I mean, I think... Of and the then mo- they win. Yeah, well, that would be even worse. Something, he looks like <laughs>
0: an
1: American Macron to me, so beware of that. He,
0: s- he feels a lot like a Macron, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think we'll see burning burning buildings in Washington. So, burning something something his, out of the okay.
2: midterms which was very interesting was that the moderate Democrats actually won the day. The more populist Democrats in those local elections, a few of them were successful, but the majority of Democrats that actually took back the house were those that were far more moderate, and that might—I don't want to get too excited here—but that just <laughs> might be the American people saying we'd really love to have an adult back in the room. And if the Democrats yep. could find an adult, I suspect Cheryl they could Brown's do pretty well. I
1: don't know who the woman
2: he may be. Would be he may be. I <laughs> don't well, the, the women are standing out at the moment as being a bit more populist. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's true, yeah. I'd like to wrap up by talking about what I thought was the weirdest part of the American year, which was the nomination and elevation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. First of all, Christopher, to me, it seemed like I, I started to worry about America because it seemed to be so mad, the, the whole sort of circus around it, the extraordinary Senate hearings it felt a bit like culture wars were boiling over. What what did you think
1: of it? Well, I thought, <laughs> the thing I thought about it was, that, yeah, culture wars were about to boil over and, you know, the whole thing was going to become a sort of steaming cauldron. And then it went away. As soon yeah. as he as as was confirmed, he kind of disappeared. Where is he? You know, he's yes. gone. Now, Which
0: made the whole thing feel quite fake then. It did. It
1: felt quite fake. It felt they'd all been given their parts. And Brett Kavanaugh had sort of overacted when he did his thing and um, the lady whose name I've now forgotten, who was... Dr Ford. Do- Dr. Dr Christine Ford. Lazy Ford. Yeah, she, yeah. Thank you, yes. <laughs> she. Uh, that's how, uh, and that's 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 how she, much it went away. Everyone's yeah, and, uh, but, <laughs> and then it went away, and, and, and actually the charges against him, although they were ancient, were really quite serious. But it all seemed to go away. Now, has it left any lasting scars? And did we see those scars during the mid- midterm elections? It seemed to me, watching from this side of the Atlantic, that a lot of the Trump irreducible base were a bit fired up by this. They thought, yes. you know, you know our, our boys being savagely attacked by crazed Democrats and leftists. But I was not aware of any lasting impact on the Democratic side of the fence, but it might have been on the feminist side or the women's side. And how that plays out... In electoral terms, I'm not at all clear. I thought it helped Trump a bit in the midterms, or helped some Republican candidates in the midterms. Well, certainly it, seemed to
0: help in the Senate. If you look at the polls, they sort of go swinging more in a Republican direction after the. Well, they were
1: sort of these rural. I mean, the senators are now just portrayed as sort of right-wing backwoodsmen who come out of the forest one day, you know, to be elected Senate senator from from a rural community. It's sort of kind of crazy.
2: Well I I have it here every democratic senator who voted against Brett Kavanaugh in a trump state lost their competitive reelection bid so it did have a oh, it, it did have a, a meaningful impact and I I think Americans just despise the kangaroo court that they were forced to watch. And Mm. if you're on Brett Kavanaugh's side, if you believe his story, or if you're on Dr. Ford's side and believe her compelling case, I think we can all agree that that needs to be carried out in a court of law needs to be carried out by professionals through our very rigorous justice system, not through a kangaroo court held up by politicians and those who clearly have political interest in one side winning over the other. And one of the reasons I think it helped the Republicans in particular is because it seemed like the Democrats wanted to have trial by Twitter, wanted to have this play out in a way that you wouldn't have to provide evidence. And, you know, most Americans sitting there for both of them thought both Brett and Dr. Ford deserved to have evidence heard and to have their story told. And, you know, actually, interestingly, not not only did it fire up Trump's base, I think it's one of the few topics in two years that has brought the Republican Party together. Never Trumpers like me have, have thought to themselves, gosh, I never want to see that again. And it would certainly motivate me, at least locally, to vote for a Republican candidate.
0: I, well, it seems that most Americans, thankfully, still believe in jurisprudence and innocent until proven guilty. Indeed,
2: right? yeah, yeah. Thankfully, actually, we still have that, Freddie, because everything else, everything we thought we knew has gone out the window. Everything
0: all, else is on fire. It's yeah. all
1: wobbling. I always think of it as wobbling, like there's a kind of earthquake, earthquake tremor underneath and everything is shaking and wobbling. And some things fall down and something's just managed to stand up like innocent until proven guilty.
0: Just very lastly, actually, let's wrap up with the funeral of George H.W. Bush. Now, I thought, Christopher, first of all, perhaps you knew him a bit. Did you Did you come across him at I all? I knew him quite
1: well. Yeah. I knew him quite Tell well. Tell us a
0: little bit about
1: him. Well, he was exactly as his image used to be, a courteous, gentlemanly American aristocrat who was at home up in Kennebunkport on, on, on the East Coast. He didn't have any of George W's, his old, oldest son's Texan trappings at all. And he was this extraordinarily courteous gentleman, very, very kind, twinkle in his eye, always interesting to talk to. Even before I was ambassador, when I was a, had a junior role in the embassy, I ran into him and he was always happy to talk. And I've never forgotten that, I think, in my opinion, under him, he had the most competent foreign policy team of any American president in my lifetime. And this led to an extraordinary contribution uh, uh, to the end of the Cold War and to the first Iraq war behind the sorry I'm going on too long, but behind the gentlemanly persona there was a fairly ruthless politician. I mean he destroyed yes. um, Governor Dukakis of Massachusetts in the nineteen eighty eight election pretty ruthlessly and then he and then he got confident and looked at his watch when he was running against Clinton on a televised debate, so looking at your watch and not being able to know how a supermarket works. Wasn't the greatest.
0: I was quite struck by that. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure he was a very graceful man in person, but he he seemed to be being sort of canonised a little bit. And it's worth remembering that all presidents are very, you know, ruthless men. It's it's a, it's not a normal ambition, as JFK said. Did you think, Kate, that the 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 sort of praise for him got a little bit too much?
2: No. No. I Look, there are many aspects, particularly when it comes to foreign policy, that people like myself and others who are relative, relatively sympathetic to many of his ideas will disagree with. But I often think that in these moments when somebody immediately passes away, it's it's very important to remember the human side of this. I'm also thinking of Senator John McCain, who we lost this year as well. These are two neoconservatives, and many people will take issue with the, the, the ideas they had about America's role abroad and with the military, but they also dedicated a huge amount of their time to public service and to America's safety when they were younger. And these are things to be applauded. It doesn't mean there isn't a time and place to criticize, but, you know, I I think the the humanity in all of us, and also to bring back some of that civility in politics, means that if somebody that you happen to disagree with politically passes away, this is hopefully a time to remember them well, and to let the criticisms definitely sit within history, but maybe not right within that moment.
1: I think there was a bit of over-egging the canonization of George H.W. Bush, precisely because... Donald Trump was in the cathedral for the memorial service, and I think yes. people were deliberately striking a contrast between the model that Bush Senior struck as president of the United States and the one that Donald Trump represents today.
0: I agree with that, but to end on a sort of hopeful note, I thought what was quite cheering was whereas the whereas John McCain's funeral became a sort of week-long Trump hate fest, Bush's there was a sort of there was. Hints of unity, you know, I mean, the Bush had invited him to the funeral. Trump himself behaved surprisingly like an adult. You know, he, he said the right things. He even tried to look sad when he went to go and see him lying in state. And I mean, I, it's sort of there might even be a hope that America can come together in, in moments like this.
1: I mean, there was a lot of emotion invested in. I, I did watch uh, a lot of the service because, because I, yeah. I knew Bush senior and Bush junior really quite well. I was really interested in it. And, of course, George George W. was extremely emotional about his father's passing. And this, I think, travelled to everybody who was in the cathedral and on other occasions as well. And even Trump, with his total lack of empathy for anything or anybody or any event, even he, it penetrated him to behave himself. And behave himself he did.
2: For me it's all about looking for the silver linings of the Trump presidency and I cannot wait whether it's 2020 or 2024 when Trump is out of the office (laughs) when he joins that president's club that club of ex presidents (laughs) and they stand up there together or they sit up there together and they chat I am so excited to see the interactions of Trump with Carter and W and Obama. That is going to be a remarkable sight.
1: Carter will be in the hundreds by then, won't he?
2: As, yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed.
0: He'll live on. The Well, on that very cheering note, I think we'll end it. Thanks very much both. Thanks, Freddie.
2: Thanks, Freddie.
0: Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer and we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer.